0: See, we're up to the plague of the frogs. Um, I hope next week whoever did the frogs does not do lice. And I hope we don't do flies and then death of the firstborn and boils, etc. So, but what we're going to be doing here tonight is continuing our study here through the book of Exodus. If he hasn't been with us, we've been building up to this point here as we're talking about these different plagues that Egypt is going through and what they mean and what they represent. We've talked about how the key verse, the key passage is Exodus 7, Verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. That's the key focus is that the Lord is using this, doing this to get their attention, to show them that he is God. Each one of these plagues is an attack on an Egyptian god or goddess, little g. And each one of these plagues is an opportunity for the Lord to show his power on who he is. And we've mentioned this for the last couple of weeks that these plagues are talked about hundreds of years later. When Joshua gets ready to go into Promised Land, Rahab, the prostitute at Jericho, says, We know of your God, of what they did to the Egyptians. Also in 1 Samuel, the Philistines, the Philistines, when they find the Ark of the Covenant, say, We don't want anything to do with this because we know this is the God. This is the God of Jehovah. This is the God of Israel, and we know what they did to the Egyptians. So these plagues are a way for the Lord to show His power, His might. It is also judgment on Egypt, too, for what they've done. Now, we did the first one last week, this idea of the water becoming blood of the Nile. And if you weren't with us, I encourage you to get that. This one kind of continues the same idea. So, you're going to hear some repeat points, but there's one point here today, tonight, I should say, that really is the key thing, which is going to change the direction of what we're going to go with here with this study. So, with that being said, Exodus chapter 8, verse 1 And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So, the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls, and the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and all your servants. Now, you have to understand what this is saying. There's going to be frogs everywhere. Now, I cannot stress this to you enough. Frogs everywhere. You cannot take a step without stepping on a frog. You cannot lay down on your bed without there being frogs. You cannot open the door of your cupboard without there being frogs. I think sometimes when we see this plague of frogs, we think if we look out and we're like, oh, there's a lot of frogs. You'd come into this room. You would not be able to sit down because frogs would be covering the chairs. Every time you took a step, you're crunching a frog. They're everywhere. I mean, look at this verse one more time. Verse 3, so the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people. You would be covered in frogs, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on your servants. Imagine all the frogs you could ever imagine, and then imagine more than that. You're completely, utterly covered. Am I stressing this point enough? You're completely, utterly covered in frogs. Now, why did he pick frogs? If we're going to go back and talk about the different Egyptians' gods and goddesses, we've already talked about how last week that the Nile being turned to blood was an attack on the Egyptian gods and goddesses of Hapi and Kahum, the spirit of the Nile and the guardian of the Nile, same one. This one now adds one by the name of Hecht, H-E-Q-T, This was the goddess of fertility, and she had a frog-like head. So the frog was a symbol of fertility in the Egyptian culture. So God is attacking that God. Our big G God is attacking that little G God. Now, let's continue on with this. Verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go, and they shall sacrifice, may sacrifice the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor. Of saying, when I shall unseat for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you, and in your houses that they may remain in the river only. So he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no other like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields, and gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw this, there was relief, he hardened his heart, and did not heed them as the Lord had done. Now, here's some repeat points from last week. Same thing, verse 7, and the magicians did so with their enchantments enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Now, if you weren't with us two weeks ago, we talked about how the enemy has lying signs and wonders, how the Bible says Satan masquerades as an angel of light and the power of Satan, but we also stress this idea of he's a created being. So we talked about that two weeks ago if you weren't with us. Now, verse 7 is a repeat point, From last week, but we have to repeat this. And you know where I'm going to go with this. Your land is completely, utterly covered in frogs. There's frogs everywhere you look. So what do you do in verse 7? You bring up more frogs. Real power would have been make the frogs go away. Real power would have been make the frogs disappear. But what they did is they created more frogs. More of a problem. Same thing with the Nile River. It turns to blood. They're running out of fresh water. So what do the magicians of Egypt do? They take the remaining water they have and turn it into blood. So we had four points last week, and I'm just going to repeat them because it applies to this as well. This is what sin does. First thing, sin is makes you do dumb things. Sin makes you do things that aren't spiritually intelligent you have a limited supply of water so you turn it to blood? That's not real smart. There's frogs all over the land so you bring more frogs into the land? No. Think back to the times that you got yourself in trouble spiritually and I'm willing to bet that you really did not think these things through from the lens of the Bible and you did not seek the Lord on this and those choices that were made of sin really ended up being dumb choices. Sin makes you do dumb things. Number two, Sin stinks. We talked about that with the Nile, as it stank. And we talked about this here once again. If you look in verse 14, they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. We quoted a verse out of Isaiah 65 last week where it talked about how the sin of Israel was like a stench in the nostrils of God. See, God looks at our prayer life as a beautiful aroma that goes up to the Lord. But our sin, sin just stinks. And one of the points we made last week was, generally speaking, when you're covered in that smell of sin, you don't notice it yourself. You don't notice it. If the boys are outside or I'm outside and we're burning trash, you're out there in the smoke, you come in, you don't even smell the smoke. But as soon as you get in, the people that weren't burning trash, they do. I used to work at Ottawa in the wastewater plant. So I'd come home. I'm used to smelling the wastewater plant for 8, 9, 10 hours. Dawn wasn't. As soon as I got home, there was a certain aroma there. When you're not around it, it stinks. But here's the problem. When you have covered yourself in sin, you don't really start to notice it as much anymore. You don't think you smell as bad as you do. You start doing what I call comparative Christianity. Yeah, once what I'm doing is wrong, but it's not as bad as what he's doing. It's not as bad as what she's doing. Yep, I know I could be doing better, but no. In the eyes of God, or I should say in the nostrils of God, you stink. So sin makes you do dumb things sin stinks Third point sin can't clean up a mess it only can make it worse I' never heard anybody say once again by sinning my life got better I never know sin makes the mess bigger so these guys turning blood excuse me water to blood and bringing more frogs they can't clean the mess up they only can make it worse and last point sin makes your life worse More difficult. As we mentioned last week, they had to dig around the Nile to get water. Here, they make their life more difficult by bringing more frogs. So just remember those four points. Sin makes you do dumb things. Sin makes your spiritual life stink. Sin cannot clean up a mess. It only can make it worse. And sin makes you work harder. It's never worth it. It's never worth it. We use the example once again of David with our lesson. And that idea of David, his sin of laziness, then led to adultery, which then led to deceit, which then led to murder. It's a great picture of what sin does. It just takes you downhill. Think of those sins in your life right now that have a power over you. It's probably making you do things that aren't smart in the eyes of God. It makes you spiritually stink. It's making your life more of a mess. And it's making your walk with Christ much more difficult. Now the question comes up, What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do? See, Moses comes to uh, Pharaoh. I should say Pharaoh comes to Moses, verse 8, and says, take him away. Moses says, sure. He says in verse 9, accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you. Moses says to Pharaoh, I'm giving you the privilege. You tell me when you want this thing to end. And what does he say in verse 10? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. You're taking notes underlying tomorrow and right beside that stupidest thing ever said. Tomorrow. Think about that. Your nation is completely, utterly covered in frogs. Let me repeat the point again because, just in case we didn't get it, you're walking on frogs, you're sleeping on frogs, your bowls are full of frogs, your seats are covered in frogs. There's so many frogs that they're over you. The most powerful magicians in the kingdom decided to bring more frogs. And so now your great, powerful leader is given the opportunity to stop this, and he says, I want it to stop tomorrow. Think about this. Imagine the worst physical pain you've ever been in, the worst sickness you've ever been in. God comes down to you and says, James, I will end this suffering as soon as you tell me to. Okay, Lord, how about tomorrow? That doesn't make any sense. Why would he wait till tomorrow? There's two points on that. One of them is, maybe, I heard a pastor say this one time, maybe Pharaoh thought, if I wait this out, the frogs will just disappear on their own, which would just kind of show God's not as powerful as we think, so I'm going to try to wait this out. Maybe there was some pride. Maybe there was, going back to our first point, sin makes you do dumb things. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I look at that and I see that tomorrow and it makes me chuckle and it makes me smile. But then I stop and I thought, here's the point I really want to hit tonight and the point that's going to take us into communion. We still do the same thing today. We have something in our life that's bringing us down. We have something in our life that's hindering us from being the men or women we're called to be. God says, I want to take that from you. And our response is, Lord, take this from me tomorrow. And let me give you some examples of this. I don't know how many times people have come up to me and they've told me how their walk with the Lord has gone dry. They just don't feel the Lord spiritually anymore. They admit it. Their time in the Word is kind of just not there. The only time they have in the Word is a Sunday morning, Wednesday night. They really don't have a prayer life. Maybe they got that prayer life of, Lord, be with me today. Help me go through work. Take care of my family. There's really no communication with the Lord. Worship Worship is just what they get on Sundays or Wednesdays, and they're kind of half into it. So they don't really have a worship life. They really don't have time in the Word. They really don't have time in prayer. So they come to me, and they start saying something like, I just feel spiritually dried." And I say, how's your time in the Lord? How's your time in prayer? How's your time in the Word? How's your time of worship? No, not good. So we talk about how those things encourage you, vitalize you, how, how they said about Jesus that did not our heart burn within us when he opened up the scriptures to us. So I say, that's what you need. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is an oil that keeps you flowing. God's word gives you faith. Worship is a time to go in the presence of God. Those are the things you need to revitalize you. Go do that. And you know what they say? You know what? I will. I will, I will try that tomorrow. How about you go home tonight? And try that. I, I, I will. I will do that. So I check with them a week later. How's it going? Ah, it's going okay. So are you getting into the Word? Are you getting into worship? Are you getting into? I mean, I mean, I've tried, but I had a really big day at work the other day. And boy, the kids—they had soccer all day Saturday, and we had this family get together Friday. And let's just be blunt. Excuse, excuse, excuse. We do the same thing spiritually. I'm going to go deeper with Jesus tomorrow. No, if you're not going to do it right now, you're probably not going to do it tomorrow. Because what happens is tomorrow you're going to set your alarm a little early, but then you're going to remember you got a big day at work, and so you have to get up and get going. See, things like this happen. Or you know what? I really need to start spending more time with the kids spiritually, but you know this is let's get through school here first. Because once we're done with school in June, it will be so much easier. We want to go deeper tomorrow. Now, the same thing happens with sin. There's a sin in your life. You know it's wrong. You know it's bringing you down. You know it's hindering your marriage, your walk, your relationship with the Lord. And you know it's wrong. And you're going to stop that tomorrow. Instead of hitting your knees now and confessing it to the Lord and saying, Lord, take this from me. I mean, as soon as we hit December, people start talking about New Year's resolutions. And I've told you numerous times how much that annoys me. We wait till January 1st, cold, dark, snowy day, to make huge life changes. Makes no sense. But it's amazing how I have people come up to me in the middle of December, already talking about how on January 1st they're going to make these huge changes. If these changes are that important, why don't you start now, two weeks earlier? That's really busy with the holidays. And your tomorrow is different for everybody. I've heard people keep them from going deeper in the Lord because they've had remodel projects at home, they've had to take care of, they've had a lot of overtime at work, so therefore it's been busy. The kids have been sick. I'm telling you right now, there's an excuse and a reason every day to keep you from going deeper in the Lord today. And that's why we always are going to do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. wasn't that long ago for me where I felt convicted. It was about 8.30, 45. We usually try to get the kids ready for bed around that time, get them in bed around 9. And I was looking at the clock, and I thought, oh, boy, I really should just take some time here, sit down with the kids, do some devotions, just have a little bit of time of prayer. And it's just been one of those long days, just long days. It's like, Jesus, I love you, but I'm tired. And so I thought, you know what? Tonight, it just doesn't work. So you know what? Tomorrow, we're really going to hit devotions hard. And the Lord laid it on my heart saying, why not right now? Have you ever been in the have you ever been in the spot of trying to explain things to God because He doesn't get it? Like, Lord, you don't get it. I'm sorry, Lord. Let me understand to you why today doesn't work. And almost like you think the Lord's up in heaven saying, Oh, James, I didn't see that. That makes much more sense. Here's the point. Can you go with me real quick to Psalm 95? Psalm 95. We all have things we need to change. Maybe there's a spiritual laziness in you. Maybe there's a sin of unconfessed. I don't know what it is. But I'm telling you right now, tomorrow's not the day to work at it. Right here, right now, is the time to go to the Lord. Look at Psalm 95. Let's go ahead and start in verse 6. This sounds very familiar. This is a worship song that we sing out here sometimes. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now, we usually stop right there. Because that's the good stuff. Keep going, verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me. Through them, they saw my work. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation. Look at that one more time, verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice. Today. Today. 1 Corinthians 6.2 says today is the day of salvation. How many people are going to get saved tomorrow? I don't know, but why wait? Today. Now, this passage right here about today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You've heard me say this out here many times before. If God says it once it's important. If he repeats it twice, really pay attention. If he starts saying it three times, you better be really seeing what he's saying here. This idea of today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, this is not only repeated here in Psalm 95, it's repeated in Hebrews 3.7, Hebrews 3.15, Hebrews 4.7. So God in His infinite wisdom decided to repeat this passage four times. Why? Because He knows human nature. And tomorrow is the day that will be different. Tomorrow is the day I will get up early with the Lord. Tomorrow is the day that I will share Christ with my coworkers. Tomorrow is the day that I will start loving my wife as Christ loved the church. Tomorrow is the day that I will look that sin in the eye and say, I am free from you. No, today. Today is that day. And it just completely blows my mind when I see so many believers going to go deeper tomorrow. I see so many believers that have sin in their lives and they know it's wrong. And tomorrow, they're going to work at that through the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts today. Pharaoh saying, tomorrow take the frogs away. Man, we can pick on him. We can say how silly that is. But truth be told, that's us. That's us. Fill in the blank with the sin. I've seen it so many times in my life. seen it so many times in other people's lives. I remember one time talking to a guy who struggled with alcohol. And the Lord allowed some things to happen into his life that got his attention. And uh, he was really looking at some court time and some prison time, etc. So I remember taking him home from court because he lost his license. And as we're talking about the struggles he's having with alcohol, I said... You know, you got to realize this, this is just going to keep bringing you down. So, what are you going to do about that? He goes, When I get home, I'm going to go take all that stuff and throw that alcohol out. I said, Amen. We got home. You know, I took him into his house. So I said, What's, What are you going to do with that alcohol? He goes, You know what? This evening, this evening, I'm going to go take all that alcohol. And throw. All of a sudden, it went from when I get home till this evening. So I said, You know what? I'm right here with you. How about for accountability? Let's just do it together. Collected it all, threw it all out. Because it had to happen today. I don't know how many times I've talked to guys that have struggled with pornography, especially on the internet. And they come and they confess and they're struggling with this. And then they come and they say something to the effect of, I want things to be different. So I say, you know what? I've dealt with this with other guys. I've dealt with this here at church. So this is what we've done. We've gotten filters on the computers. You get passwords that way you can't get in. You give that password to an accountability partner. And you can do this. And you can have these email reports sent. We could do this. Sounds good. I'll look into that. No reason to look into it. Let's just do it. I will. Talk to them a week later. How's that going? Did you get anything set up on your computer? No, not yet. Tomorrow. Just leaves the door open for sin. And I'm just telling you right now, and I'm saying this to myself, so please don't think I'm attacking you. I'm looking at this, and I keep looking at that word tomorrow, and I'm thinking, Lord, what is it in my life that I'm putting off till tomorrow? To go deeper with you, to confess to you. What is it, Lord? And that's why I wanted us to end with communion. I know this Wednesday night has been a little bit different than what we normally do, but I thought it was important for us to get to this point, to leave us this time at the end, where we could really stop and say, okay, Lord, we come to you now in communion and say, what is it that's bringing me down that I need to deal with right here, right now, in the presence of the Lord? Not later on, not when it's convenient for me, but, Lord, for you. I've been reading the Gospels a lot about Jesus. And it always kind of fascinates me because the way I used to pastor and minister was was very nagging, I realized. That, you know what, if you didn't want to go deeper in the Lord, it was my responsibility to make you. And really I started seeing this freedom that Christ had of where Christ would present himself. And if they didn't want it, he just walked away. And I started thinking about all these times that people came up to Jesus. And there's the examples of the three people that came up to Christ. And they said, I will follow you, Jesus. Remember those? First, let me go see the field I bought. First, let me go bury my father. First, I have people at my house I have to go take care of. Excuse followed by excuse followed by excuse. You know what Jesus did? He didn't wait around. He left. Because what he's basically saying is, listen, if it's not important enough to drop everything right now and follow me, then you don't have a proper perspective of who I am. If there's something the Lord has laid on your heart to either let go of or to start, today is the day to do it. Not tomorrow, but today. And that's what we want to get ready here with communion is to prepare our hearts for this. Think about what communion means and represents. Think about how this bread represents the body broken. Broken. Jesus was broken on the cross. And what did he say on the cross? He said, It is finished. It is finished. So whatever sin I'm struggling with, it's finished. It's been defeated. It's being taken care of. Romans 6 says, I no longer need to be a slave to that sin. Because it's finished. That blood, excuse me, that cup, representing that blood. The precious blood of Jesus that washes us clean. So that way we can start today. Go deeper today with a fresh start. His mercies are new every morning. That's a beautiful thing beautiful thing. I no longer have to wake up in the morning full of shame and guilt over decisions and choices that I made in the past. I can wake up with new mercies every morning through the forgiveness that Christ gives me at the cross. And that's what communion represents. As we get ready to partake of this, I think it's important to have this time of confession. I just want to read this real quick out of 1 Corinthians 11. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The Lord says that we're supposed to examine ourselves as we get ready to partake of communion. We're supposed to examine ourselves. Psalm 139 has a great passage on this as we get ready to examine ourselves. It says in one Psalm one thirty nine, search me O God, and know my heart, try me, know my anxieties, see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Note, God does not ask me to search me. You know why? Because if I would search myself, I would hide certain skeletons in the closet and just kind of skip over it. I was talking to a guy today, and we were talking about what I call deflecting prayer requests. Deflecting prayer request. You know what a deflecting prayer request is? Somebody's heavy on my heart. I don't think everything's right in their life. So I contact them. Hey, how are you doing? Anything I can pray for you about? Deflecting prayer request. Well, you know what? I got this coworker that's really struggling. Can you pray for them? Deflect it off me. Or deflecting prayer request. Giving an answer without really giving an answer. You know, things could probably be a little bit better. I'm really trying to go deeper in the Lord. So just really kind of pray for that. Really giving a non answer. This is why the Lord doesn't put this conviction on my responsibility. He gives that responsibility to the Holy Spirit. That's why this passage says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. The psalmist is saying here, Lord, you shine the flashlight into my heart. You show me the areas I'm struggling with. You show me the areas I'm weak in. You reveal to me the areas I need to work on. Because he knows. Because I'll just deflect. I'll point it towards somebody else. I'll try to get out of the spiritual spotlight. God says, no, we're going to deal with this sin right here, right now, because today, today is the day to do this, not tomorrow. So with this being said, this time of confession, this time of prayer, I just want to ask you guys a couple questions, and I'm going to ask myself this. Is there any sin in your life right now that you have allowed to come in and make up residence? Is there any sin in your life right now that you're allowing to be in there? You know it's wrong. And you can kind of be wishy-washy on, I know I need to change. I know it's something I need to work on. No. It's an ugly, disgusting sin that Jesus died on the cross for. So can we give that to him today and say, Lord, I no longer want this? Number two, is there something spiritually where the Lord has said, I want you to do this. I want you to go deeper in me. As we've mentioned many times before, he's not going to force it. He's not going to make you. But is there something where the Lord has laid on your heart saying, I want more of you? Today is the day to say, I will do that, Lord. Not make an excuse, but I will do that. Let's go to the Lord quietly as we get ready to confess this. Heavenly Father, we come to you with hearts open. And we look at what your word says. Your word says we're supposed to examine ourselves as we get ready to partake of communion. Your word says that you're going to search us and try us and know those areas. We give you our hearts, those areas of sin that we're struggling with. In the name of Jesus, help us to make good, godly choices. Lord, in those areas of spiritual weakness, those areas of spiritual laziness, Lord, help us to become the men and women you've called us to be. And we quietly just come to you and confess those areas. And Lord, we ask you, search us, try us, know us to be the people you've called us to be. Let us just quietly go to the Lord now individually as we give those areas over to him. Lord, at this time, there's such a heaviness of just how perfect you are and how unworthy we are. But Lord, at the same time, there's just this joy and freedom in the Spirit knowing you're taking these things from us. We no longer have to carry this burden of sin. We no longer have to be a slave to it. Lord, help us not to just... Walk in this moment at this instant. But as we leave this building today, as we go home, that we would truly walk in the freedom that you've given us as you have taken this off of our heart and you've taken this off of our chest. Lord, we recommit our lives to you. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that has never met you, they don't know you, I pray that you're just revealing to them who you are. You are God who came down in the form of a man to pay the debt that they could not pay. That you want to take that sin from them and make them a new creation, brand new, fresh spiritual start. Reveal that to them and that their hearts would be open to you. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. The guys that are helping with communion want to come forward. A couple quick things.